Now, before we turn to God's word, will you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, as we have just prayed for one of your servants and thank you for his gifts, we acknowledge that without your spirit all the gifts in the world are useless. That it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And so now if we are to understand your word, if we are to turn from our own wrong ways and turn to your right way, If we are to live in any sense a life that pleases you, we need the help of your Spirit. So now we pray you'll take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds, think through them. Take us and make us wholly devoted to you, the one who alone is worthy of our praise in your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Almost seven years ago, I received a personal letter in the post. Perfectly printed from a computer. There was no address at the top of the letter. Just a person's name, which I did not recognise. And underneath it said, Servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I saved the letter for reasons which will become obvious and I simply want to read to you what it says. And Colin, I would say to you, in pastoral work, you get some very interesting experiences. Dear Mr. Granger, in the sight of God you were guilty of lies and malicious gossip and will therefore encounter the wrath of God. The angel of the Lord will strike you down dumb and you will remain silent for one week from the beginning of the Lord's Holy Day on the 4th of June, 2000 to the end of the Lord's Holy Day on the 11th of June, 2000. After that, your speech will return. Please find, closed, a copy of the Word of Judgment and Condemnation by God against the Church of Jesus Christ because of its sin which will be spoken in the not-too-distant future. You will learn from the final paragraph that Jesus Christ will indeed revive his church. The violent and visible destruction of the people of God will instill the fear of God into his people and will cause many to repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not only answer your prayers for revival, you will be the instrument of that answer to prayer. The prophets of Baal were unable to invoke their God to answer their prayers by fire and in the same way the prayers of the church against me will remain unanswered. Any future intimidation will be dealt with accordingly. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, signed. Well, I wonder what you'd have made of a letter like that through your postbox. Actually, I didn't just laugh. And I certainly didn't throw it away in the bin. I did take it seriously. It purported to be a word from the Lord. And as it included a very definite prophecy about a future event, I did share it with some of the elders, not only for their evaluation, but also to prepare them for the fact that they might need a preacher for the following two Sundays. 
well, you want to know what happened. And you're going to have to wait till later in the sermon to find the answer. Uh, but the reason I mentioned it is that it relates directly to the passage we are studying today in our Sydney morning series in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, which we've entitled Living in Hope. Uh, you see, Jeremiah, the man who gave his name to this book, lived some 2,600 years ago. And he was by calling, not a pastor teacher, he was a prophet. Someone called by God to speak on God's behalf, not only to individuals, but to nations. First of all, the nation of Judah, of which he was a part, but even beyond that, to the superpowers of the day, to the people of Babylon and Egypt. And what he prophesied related not just to present events, but to future and distant events, some in the far distant future. But the problem was this. Jeremiah was not the only prophet on the block. Uh, think by way of illustration, I'm trying to illustrate this. Think of the range of newspapers that exist in our day, in our society. Uh, let's think for a moment about the future leadership of the United Kingdom. Now, you can read newspapers in the past two weeks that will tell you that Gordon Brown is going to be the best Prime Minister this country has ever seen. You can read other opinions that will tell you he will be a complete disaster. Who is right? Well, no one knows. It's a matter of opinion. Uh, but imagine for a moment if someone, and it won't be me, stands up and tells you what God thinks about Gordon Brown and what was going to happen when he becomes Prime Minister. If he becomes Prime Minister. Well, that places things on a totally different level, does it not? Uh, and of course, in our day, most people would dismiss out of hand any person who made such claims to speak from God. But, in the nation of Israel, or the remnant, the kingdom of Judah, such a possibility went without saying. Everybody believed in prophets. That God spoke through people. His word. But the big question was, who do you believe? Who were the people of Judah to believe? Were they to believe Jeremiah? Or were they to believe all these other prophets who said something completely opposite to what Jeremiah was saying? How could you tell them? And you've seen already, this is still a relevant topic. How can you tell now? That's our subject today. So I've simply entitled it, True and False Prophets. Uh, and in our wisdom, or lack of wisdom, when we planned this series, uh, I was assigned three chapters, Jeremiah 21, 22, and 23. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning in our remaining time is focus on chapter 23, which deals with our topic in depth, um, and then refer back to some of the other bits as well. So it really help this morning, because you need to hear the word of the Lord. It will help to open your Bibles. That's why you need to bring a Bible and turn to a Bible. Jeremiah 23. I'm going to read the first 30 verses or so. It's quite a long section, but do stay with me. Page 782 if you need a pew Bible. This is the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. 
Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved. Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which you will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the lands of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them, then they will live in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched and the pastures in the desert are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will become slippery, they'll be banished to darkness, and there they will fall. I'll bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says concerning the prophets. I'll make them eat bitter food and drink poison water because from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has spread throughout the land. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hope. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you'll have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets say who prophesied lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusion of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream. 
but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. This is the Lord's word. In the Tyndale commentary on Jeremiah, the writer R.K. Harrison uh, makes a comment on this subject of true and false prophets. Let me begin by, be on the screen as well, you'll see it. It's what he says. Given two men dressed in similar clothing, each claiming to be God's messenger, and prefacing his remarks with, this is what God says, or thus says the Lord, it must have been far from easy to decide from external appearances which person was proclaiming revealed truth. Closer observation, however, would have made the difference between true and false prophets apparent. It's What I want to do now is look more closely, closer observation of the subject today. And I simply want to suggest, and we don't have a great deal of time, but let me suggest there are three areas we need to examine if we want to discern between a true and a false prophet. And what I want to say is, listen very carefully because you can misunderstand this, if a person is to be judged a true prophet, then he needs green lights on all three of these, not just, if there is a red light against any of these, then you need to be suspicious. Okay, here's the first area, the conduct of the prophet. You'll see that particularly in verses 10 to 15. The true prophet is a person who lives in a way that pleases God. And not just in a way that he thinks pleases God, but in a way that he knows pleases God. How does he know it pleases God? Because God has revealed in his law the kind of behaviour that pleases him. The people of Israel received it through what is called the law of Moses, which you find in the first part of our Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And in particular, his moral law which is summarised in what we call the Ten Commandments, which is still binding today. So a genuine true prophet is a person who lives in a way that pleases God by keeping his law. Now here's the contrast. In contrast, a false prophet is a person who lives in a way that is displeasing to God by breaking his law. And this distinction was very clear in Jeremiah's day. When you compare Jeremiah's conduct with those of the other prophets who were claiming to speak for the Lord. He stood out in society because he didn't live like everyone else. I'm going to say he was conspicuous for Christ. Probably true. <laughs> uh, line. He was conspicuous for the Lord. But the conduct of the false prophets was indistinguishable from the rest of the population. In fact, they took a lead in evil. Just look very quickly at some of the verses we read. Verse 10. The land is full of adulterers because the curse of the land lies parched. 
Because of the curse of the land, the land lies parched, and the pastures in the desert are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Verse 11, both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Verse 14, among the prophets of Jerusalem I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. They are like Sodom to me, the people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah, almost certainly a reference to sexual sin, both heterosexual and homosexual. And their evil behaviour has an influence on the rest of society. Verse 15, from the prophets of Jerusalem, and godliness has spread throughout the land. Now, what was true in Jeremiah's day, under the old covenant, is true in our day, under the new covenant. You simply need to turn to the words of Jesus. Here's the end of the famous Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. Here's the warning of Jesus. Listen carefully. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. You may say, well, this is pretty obvious stuff. But Jesus says you can easily be deceived by such people. Don't be deceived, he says, by what they say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And he also goes on to say, don't be taken in by what they do. Many will say to me on that day, this is the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Notice the answer of the Lord. He doesn't say, no, you didn't do any of those things. I believe they did. I simply ask you this morning, if you saw someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus, would you be 100% quite clear that that person was not a genuine Christian? Would you even entertain that thought? Jesus said, it's not what you say, not what you do. The only thing that matters is who you know. Then I will tell them plainly, here's his answer, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. The teaching of Jesus is abundantly clear. If you know the Lord, then you will not persistently do evil. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. The first and foundational way to distinguish a true from a false prophet is conduct. That's the first green light. You could say a lot more about it, but you can follow that through yourself. Here's the second area for examination. As we turn not only from how the prophet lives, but what the prophet says. Here's the second point. The content of the prophecy. What is it he actually says? Look first at the characteristic again of the true prophet. First of all, the true prophet says what he has heard from God. What God wants to say through him to his people. He doesn't decide what he's going to talk about. And what did God want to say through Jeremiah? I want to suggest to you, he wanted to say through Jeremiah, fundamentally, the same thing he says to our world and society, because very little has changed in the intervening years. Jeremiah's message was, and you'll be surprised at this, a message of judgment. Well, you won't be surprised if you've been with us for the first 20 chapters of this series. We've seen that the characteristic of national life in Judah was wickedness and evil from the top layer, kings, priests and prophets, right down to the bottom strata of society. 
God's people had departed from God's covenant, his agreement he'd made with them, and the law of God was quite clear. If you did that, watch out, you face judgment. And the Lord tells and warns them, therefore, and not least the false prophets who are peddling the wrong message, that they have led the people astray. Verse 12, Therefore their path will become slippery, they'll be banished to darkness, there they will fall, I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Now you may say, hang on a minute, surely that's not all the Lord says. Why have you called this series Living in Hope, if it's all about judgment? Why have we chosen our verse for the year? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And you are right. The message of Jeremiah (coughs) under the Old Covenant and of Jesus under the New Covenant is also about a way of salvation. How you can avoid this judgment. But salvation from what? From God's judgment. Living in hope only makes sense when you're living in despair. Receiving good news only shines brightly against a backcloth of very bad news. Now, just think for a moment about this. I was thinking about it this week, reading an article about this. It's easy to overlook this. Here's the Jewish people waiting for centuries for the coming Messiah. Suddenly this character appears in the wilderness. John the Baptist, they call him, because he baptizes people. And what is his message? Is it good news? Yes, yeah, good news. But he said it's news that means to prepare for the good news, you need to turn from the way that you're living. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. The one who is coming has his winnowing fork in his hand. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he says, get ready, flee from the coming wrath. What was the message of Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You need to get ready. Okay, you may be still not convinced, all right? What's the best known gospel verse in the world? Okay, John 3.16. Most of you should know it. Probably do know it in whatever version. For God, I'll probably quote it in three variants. But For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. It's only good news if you realise you're perishing. It's not just sort of good news to add to all the other good news around at the moment. The Christian message is, the world is perishing. It's under God's judgment. And therefore, the one who speaks God's word, it is against the dark backcloth of judgment that God paints on that black canvas, that dark canvas. He paints the good, bright news of the gospel, of his love. You can't preach God's salvation without first telling people they're under God's judgment. Otherwise they'll say, well, I've got a lot of other options and this sounds like a good one, but mm, forget it, you know. You say to people, look, you're lost, without hope, without God in the world, you're heading for hell. Unless you turn. But God has made a wonderful way. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you think, well, it's quite interesting, this Christian stuff, and I've been coming to Charlotte Chapel and I quite like it, and you know, I could fit it in between my other hobbies and interests. It's far more serious than that. And if you don't mention God's judgment, if you hear someone who only has good news without any bad news, then pay attention. Almost certainly, 
certainly not the complete counsel of God, is another false message. Now, look at the false prophets in, in, in contrast to that. What does the false prophet do? Well, he says what he's dreamt up. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen, verse 16, to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And verse 18, he says, Which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? They haven't heard this from God. They just made it up themselves. They've dreamt it up. And because they say what they've dreamt up, they say what people want to hear. In the day in which Jeremiah lived, it was a world of competing superpowers. The nation looked like it was going to be wiped out. What do you want? You want a message of peace and hope. Verse 17, they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you'll have peace. Don't worry about your sin, it's okay. To all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. And as such, it's a message of peace, it requires no change of behaviour. I did not send these prophets, says the Lord, yet they've run with a message. I didn't speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they'd have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. And ultimately, it's a message, the message of the false prophet is a message that possesses no power. These are very significant words, verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what a straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Unlike the word of the true prophet, the word of the false prophet has no power. It has no power to feed the hungry soul, heart, no power to purify the sin-sane soul, no power to break the stubborn will. It is a powerless message. In the middle of the last century, the theologian Richard Niebuhr described their 20th century equivalents who proclaimed, listen carefully, a message in which a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. So the message of these two prophets, Jeremiah and the other group, was very clear. And here's another way of testing it, kind of, it's what I would call the popularity test. You see, Jeremiah, we've seen already, and you're going to see more as well, God willing, as we go through the series, Jeremiah was a deeply unpopular person in, in Judah. Why? Because he told people what they didn't want to hear. He was abused verbally, physically, yet he stuck with his message even when he had tempting opportunities to do the opposite. Now, there's a very good example of this in the beginning of the three chapters we're looking at today. Uh, right back in chapter 21, uh, the book of Jeremiah jumps chronologically all over the place, but these are the last days of the kingdom of Judah. The final king was a guy called Zedekiah. For years he's ignored Jeremiah and abused him. But now, when the Babylonians at the door, he finally sends a message to Jeremiah. What does he say? He says, give me some good news. Inquire now of the Lord, this is chapter 21, verse 2, inquire now of the Lord for us, because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will perform miracles, wonders for us, as in times past, so they will withdraw from us. He knows his biblical history. He thinks, good old King Hezekiah, when the Assyrians were in a similar position at our gates, uh, the prophet Isaiah, we prayed and the Lord intervened, so, uh, you know, Jeremiah, give us a good message. What a chance for Jeremiah to become the most popular man in the nation. But it's too late. 
the response, bad news. Here's what Jeremiah sends back to him. Tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylons who are outside the wall besieging you. I'll gather them inside this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in anger and fury and great wrath. This is language of the Exodus. The Lord works with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The Lord says, yeah, I'm going to work with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm on behalf of the Babylonians. And he goes on to say, you're either going to die of plague, famine or sword or you'll be deported to Babylon never to return. And he says to them, if you read on, we don't have time to look at it, he says, your only chance of survival is to leave the city and surrender. Now, I don't make him very popular. Regarded as a traitor to his own people. Now, I simply say to all of you, particularly to Colin, those who was involved in ministry, the lure of popularity is as strong as it ever has been increasingly so in our society for anyone who wants to proclaim God's word to water down the message to say what people want to hear and to ignore the bad news Jesus was not a popular person let me give you another warning of Jesus did you notice it if you've been in our evening series in Luke Jesus said woe to you when all men speak well of you for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets you don't have to, let me be clear here, you don't have to set out as a preacher to do this, to make yourself unpopular, become a masochist. You just simply need to speak God's word. It's not popular. And so the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his young protege and preacher about the last days. These are the verses for you, Colin, particularly. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I simply say, I began preaching, I was trying to count up mentally coming in the car, I began preaching 45 years ago. I tell you, that's a lot more true 45 years on than it was when I started preaching. It was hard then. But the word of God is increasingly unpopular. So these are the first two areas. I'm coming to the third one, which will be a lot quicker for those who are getting impatient. It's important to try and follow this, all right? The conduct of the prophet, the content of the prophecy. Here's what you might think is the most obvious. The confirmation of the prediction. We can state this contrast between the true and false prophet very simply. The true prophet, what he says, comes true. The false prophet, what he says, proves false. Again, we don't have time to look at the details. When you go home, read the Bible. Jeremiah prophesied specific details about the final kings of Judah in chapters 21 and 22. Uh, just put a list on the screen here about what he said about the final kings, about Zedekiah, Shalom, who is also called Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, also called Eliakim, Jehoiachin called Kenaya. Everything he said came true. Just take a well, simple example. The second one was a man called Shalom. He was carried off into exile. And there was a big popular, what I might call, Bonnie Prince Charlie movement among the people of Judah. Will he now come back again and rescue us? And the prophets are saying, yes, yeah, Shalom is going to come back and rescue us. Jeremiah says, forget it. He'll never come back. Will he now come back? No, he won't. He'll die in exile. 
Nobody liked it. They, they wanted to believe he was going to come back. What happened to him? You can read the history books. He died in exile. What Jeremiah said about the final days of the kingdom of Judah in chapter 21, the invasion of the Babylonians, the destruction of the city, the death and deportation of people came true. In contrast, what the false prophets said about peace and prosperity, rescue and safety, about God's judgment proved absolutely false. Jeremiah was vindicated by history. That's the third area that helps us to distinguish. Now, the law of Moses gave very strict instructions on this, if you know your Bibles what the Lord said about a prophet whose predictions prove false. This is Deuteronomy 18. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is the message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Now, for those who have been patiently waiting, that is why I am sure that the prophecy I was given seven years ago, was not true. Because if you were here, you would have heard me preaching in this church on those two Sundays when I was supposed to be struck dumb. Interestingly, I waited for a response from the person because there was no address and I had no idea who he was, really. Eventually, a letter came. It had no reference to me or what had been said. It simply was a request for me to pass on three more prophecies to three more people with copies of the letter for my perusal. I read them, and they announced that if the persons concerned did not repent, then they would be struck dead on a certain day. And the writer said, if this didn't happen, may God strike me dead on that same day. As far as I know, no one died as a result of what was said. But what do you notice, before we almost come to the end of this, and I'm always getting there, that the opposite does not always follow. This is really important to try and follow this. A true prediction does not always mean a true prophet. Now, look again at what Deuteronomy says. What the Lord said through Moses about a prophet whose predictions come true. Listen carefully. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let's follow other gods, God you've not known, let's worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. You follow what he's saying? Just because it comes true, and I've experienced this myself, just because a prophecy comes true does not mean that that person is a true prophet. C.H. Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher, famously said, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And I often think of that. And that's why you need, you remember what I said at the beginning? You need all three green lights. The conduct of the prophet, the content of the prophecy, the confirmation of the prediction. Well, let me finish with good news. Because there is good news. Chapter 23, what Jeremiah prophesied about the coming king. These are wonderful verses in the midst of all this judgment, Jeremiah is not despairing. We're still living in hope. The days are coming, declares the king, when I'll raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which you'll be called the Lord our righteousness. What Jeremiah prophesied about the coming of the king was fulfilled 
some 600 years later in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. A righteous branch from the root of the stem of Jesse. Isaiah 11. A righteous king who will rule wisely. And a righteous saviour who will rescue his people. You see, bad king Zedekiah failed to live up to his name. The last king. Zedekiah means the Lord, my righteousness. Jesus fulfilled his name, the Lord, our righteousness. And the good news of the gospel is that to people living under judgment, which we all are, there is a way of rescue. Because he is our righteousness. The Apostle Paul, right, the Christians in Corinth, said this wonderful words, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteous one who had no sin of his own took our sin on himself when he died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God, the judgment of God against sin and sinners that we deserve. Now through faith in him, we can be declared right with God. We can know peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we must listen to him. For he is the prophet. Not just the one who speaks God's word, but the one who is the word. Declaring all that he has seen and heard from the Father. He is the one we need to listen to because all that he says comes true. And all that Jesus said that he yet awaits fulfilment concerns his second coming. For the scriptures tell us he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews 9. So let's listen to him and respond to him, the living word. This is the good news of the gospel against the backdrop of judgment. Let's pray together.